What's up, everybody? It's an early morning edition of Free Association. I'm J.D. Bunkus, and he is the man who just casually sits down with Austin Matthews for dinners and shares some of his favorite meals. It's Donovan Bennett. How you doing, buddy? I'm very well, thank you. I missed you last week. I really did. That's nice. I miss being here. Well, man, it was just, it was such a fun all-star game and I forgot that you weren't in. And so I prepared all these things and I'm like waiting for, and I was like talking to our producers. I was like, this was so great. This was so fun. I want to talk to you about Kyle Lowry and some of the antics from the all-star game and where you weighed in on positive, negatives, moments of the season. And our buddy Vivek Jacob shows up. I'm like, oh, nice to see you. What are you doing here? He's like the podcast. I felt like a really, really bad, uh, bad host unprepared uh and in friendly but anyways it was uh you were missed last week it was a fun all-star game uh vj did a good job of uh, course i'll just say this because we have a big game to talk about i'm in on the elam ending like if you told me game seven of the nba finals is gonna be elam ending the playoffs in general every no, nba game you would oh i'm here i'm How here dare for you it. sir okay i there, love it too there, no but there's there too much is, too soon no it's not. There is no actual <laughs> yeah. good reason as to why that's not a better way to end a basketball game than, I don't know, just playing to a to the end of a random time on a clock. Well, history. No, that's that's not a good reason. Other than gonna- other than like your grandma has made Noki this way for generations. There, there's never. A good excuse for like, oh, you know why we do this? Because this is how we've always done it. Like, no, that's not a good reason to do anything. I, I In think fact, that, that's a terrible reason. That's the worst reason to do anything. But to Historically, a- some of the worst decisions ever have been made because, oh, well, yeah, well, that's how we did it before. Let's not conflate things here. I'm talking about sports records just in a vacuum of, hey, what do we look back on when we're able to compare eras, compare numbers, compare what guys did to one another? I think it's kind of difficult if all of a sudden you had a game where you weren't able to put up certain statistics because a game is going to end at a certain number. Like so it just you're you are taking away overtimes, the drama of you're, no. Every game is an overtime. That, you're not actually taking away overtime. I, here's what I would say: you, I'd love you, to see it. In, what, tell, tell me, last time you've been up late with your buddies, I'm like, man, Michael Jordan's fourth quarter PR compared to LeBron's in the playoffs. No one does that. Exactly. So the historical data that we have that we're going to lose is not better than having, imagine Dame Lillard in the playoffs with the Elam ending, just trying to end the game with with walk-off threes and waving goodbye like four out of seven times. Imagine Steph Curry with the Elam ending. All of a sudden he's doing these behind the back passes. Ooh, maybe he doesn't have that clutch gene. Skip Bayless is like, Steph, you don't got it. It would make the drama of the playoffs so much better. I will say one thing. One I think of, basketball is great. I just think but, it's doing great. But but you would you would agree that the hockey playoffs, the Stanley Cup playoffs, are outstanding. And part of the reason why is because there are so many game winners in OT towards the end of regulation. No. You're the one guy who's like, the Stanley Cup no, playoffs, I'm not here for I it. I like the Stanley Cup playoffs. Listen, uh, as a Rogers employee, I would like to say that the Stanley Cup playoffs are the greatest thing since sliced bread. And you uh, know what the best piece of content we put out every Stanley Cup playoffs? The continuous just montage yeah. of overtime game winners. You, no one is like, I was out on that after the first oh, 87 seconds. They true. watched the entire thing. Imagine if you had that for basketball. I'm just saying I, I like the Stanley Cup playoffs mostly because of the intensity, uh, the change in style of play, the meaning of every goal, the meaning of every shift. It just alters. And in the NBA... I love the playoffs for the same reason. It's just it ramps up a little bit later. In the first round, you just have a different parity level that I think is 
it's easier to digest or it's more entertaining right out of the gate because those games and those moments matter just a little bit more. Here's what I'll say about the Elam ending. I do want to see more of it. I think that they should really explore how they use it in the G League. But to me, it feels a little bit still like three-on-three in hockey. I love three-on-three in hockey. I I get excited when three-on-three overtime happens. If the NBA at one point decided that during the regular season, they were going to go to Elam endings in overtime, I think I would be okay with that. I think I would be interested in that. If they had this tournament for the seven and eight seeds to get into the NBA playoffs, I would be interested in that. But I think it's a too big of a departure from where the game has always been. How is it a departure? Still five guys on the floor. Yeah, I know. Still calling fouls the I, same way. I know. Three pointers still count. Like it's still basketball. I'm just, I was excited about it. I liked it. I liked it a lot. I want to see more of it. I just, I'm not ready to overhaul all of basketball. Like I, some things are sacred to me and one is the way basketball is played. I'd like to keep it, uh, the, the scoring the way that it is. That you can go to overtimes. And you know what? It is fun watching Damian Lillard knock down threes in overtimes. Like, it is fun watching Kyle Lowry hit a buzzer beater to send his team against Miami Heat to eventually lose. Yeah, but you'd you'd get that every game. Yeah. Every game. So, Raps played a big one last night. Um, My feeling going into it, so that I don't move the goalposts and that I'm just fair, is that it was going to be really hard to judge the Raptors in this game from a competitive standpoint, just because they were missing Marcus Gasol and Norm Powell, two of their most important six players against the Milwaukee Bucks. At worst, two of their most important seven. I mean, yes and no. We weren't crying for them, you know, a couple nights prior on Sunday night when they set a franchise record. I know. In terms of uh, win deficit and beat the brakes off the Indiana Pacers, another legit Eastern Conference playoff team. But the Pacers have been one of the worst teams from a, like, net. they've been like a bottom 20 team from net rating over the last like month and a half. They just, they haven't been the same team. I know that they were, they've had a good record, but their run recently has been a team that's, that's been struggling for about a month. If you look at most of the Raptors wins, they've been against some pretty bad teams over that winning streak. I would say that the Sixers win was their most legitimate one. After that, it's, there's no, there's no win against the top 10 team in the NBA during the Raptors winning streak outside of the win against Philadelphia. This was a big chance for them to face up against a team that this is the measuring stick of the Eastern Conference right now, arguably the measuring stick of the NBA. And the reason why Gasol and Powell is a little bit more focused on it is just that Gasol is so important for the way that I think the Raptors need to defend Giannis. They did an incredible job without him, so that kind of shifted it. But more importantly, I think maybe Gasol's ability to create offensively and be a touch point, and same with Norm Powell as a guy who can break down defenses and knock down a shot for you, I think that they really missed those guys, despite some really good performances from Chris Boucher and Terrence Davis, the guys that were filling in for them. Um, I'll start with this. I, I really wanted to see how Siakam would play. That was the number one thing for me. The last time that he played Milwaukee, he was 7-19. He had five rebounds, an assist, and a turnover, only 16 points. He was largely uh, ineffective. He kind of disappeared for large stretches of the first game against Milwaukee, if you remember it. The Raptors really fell down in a huge hole early. Kyle Lowry kind of grabbed them by the bootstraps, pulled them back into the game, but they were always fighting from a very large deficit that they gave up in the first quarter. Siakam finishes this one um, 6 of 14, so only one field goal inside of three because he was 5 of 9 from distance, six rebounds, three assists, four turnovers for 20 points. In his 13 games against top 10 opponents, he is 104 for 256. So that's 40% from the field. He's 31% from three on 87 shots. He's getting an average of 7.7 rebounds per game, three, a little under three and a half assists per game, 21 points. Those numbers 
are not terrific. I know they sound okay because you're like, oh, 21 and 7, like that's all right. But the efficiency at 40%. Do you know who's 22 and 45? Like who's a 22-point scorer shooting 45% this season? Your boy, Andrew Wiggins. I don't think that the best player on your team can be putting up Andrew Wiggins' efficiency numbers against top 13 teams. And I, and I wonder what you are most concerned with primarily when it comes to Pascal Siakam because for a game where you really expected him to have a lot of shots, a lot of possessions, he struggled against double teams, he only shot the ball 14 times, it was, it was a bit of a slog for, yeah, the, the Raptors' all-star power forward. I mean, so I have him at 22 points. 22, 6, and 3 off 42% shooting from the floor, 55% shooting from three. Um, you mentioned the four turnovers, but I, I just look at the matchup, playing up against Giannis. Who, but that's the measuring stick. Giannis is going to be an MVP again. So, I mean, I suppose, is he not the MVP of the NBA? No, but Giannis was 19 and 8 off of 35% shooting and also had four turnovers. So did he, along with Rondé, do a pretty good job defensively on Giannis? Yes. So I'm giving him a check mark on half of the game. And then offensively, I mean, Siakam doesn't have the matchup. This is one of the few games where I would say uh, a potential series against Miami would be similar, where Pascal Siakam in the half court is dribbling, coming downhill, off the dribble, trying to get into his off the dribble pull-up or into his Euro step in the lane or back you down on the block and spin off of either shoulder. And he's looking at the guy guarding him and be like, well, I mean, he's as tall as me, if not taller. He's got the same wingspan as me, if not wider. He's stronger than me. Like, he literally doesn't have the matchup. So for him to bang his head against the wall with a guy who's the MVP and probably could also be Defensive Player of the Year and who has Brooke Lopez behind them doesn't make sense. I thought the beautiful plays I saw from Siakam was when he did get downhill, couldn't get all the way to the rim, but would kick it out and then reverted and retreated back to three. And Giannis is like a dog protecting his yard. He is so, so concerned with protecting the rim that Siakam would get lost and he would get into his corner three and and, and get off a good look. Or there would be over-rotation, and then he would kick it out for a, a secondary shot opportunity that was available. His game was not great, right? But I thought his game was smart. I, I just don't think, realistically, if you're playing the Bucs, mm-hmm. Siakam's not going to outplay Giannis. So, but that's, then that's a huge takeaway. I don't think he's going to play Giannis either, but if you're saying that you really don't think that he can overcome this matchup, because again, now in these two matchups against the Bucks, he's been overwhelmingly pretty tough. Like these have not been good performances. They have not been good games against Milwaukee. And I'd be more forgiving of it if I didn't mention that it's 13 games now where he's shooting 40% with 21 a game. And I mentioned like that is less efficient than Andrew Wiggins. And what this team is looking at is we know the Raptors can win regular season games. We know that Pascal Siakam can rip it up against the Phoenix Suns. We know that that's, He's capable of that. Like even when you look at those th- th- these thirteen that I compiled, one of them is the thirty-five point performance against the Utah Jazz, where he got red hot. And this was kind of a game where Utah showed up on a Sunday and wasn't really playing very well. I don't mean to diminish what this guy has done this season; it's very good. But it's hard for me to look at the Raptors and not have a big takeaway from this, which is you're right. He's going to really struggle in this matchup. He's not going to, at least on what we've seen so far, be able to overcome what we've seen from the Bucks. He wasn't the only perpetrator in this game. Like. 
I have it here, is like all of the Raptors' best players, Lowry, Van Vliet, Siakam, and Ibaka, were 12 of 48. <laughs> like that's, that's tough. You're not going to beat the Milwaukee Bucks shooting 12 of 48. But I think the point is, is that the Raptors' offense can look pretty mundane at times. Their defense is incredible. You mentioned how they held Giannis Antetokounmpo. That's one of my most positive takeaways from the game, is that they looked really good defensively against one of the league's best teams. But you saw the Bucks, who are also based with a defensive identity, who also have a better defensive rating than the Toronto Raptors, and kind of like, well, if your best on best is going to be a bit of a rock fight at times because you're going two defenses head-to-head, do the Raptors have the horses to score with this team? And I did kind of leave that game feeling like, I'm not really sure how without a Kawhi Leonard, the Raptors are going to beat the Bucks in a series of seven games when they just they don't have a guy that you can kind of look to and say, hey, make sure that you're going to consistently get us buckets. So we've got some new things for you this NBA season. And no, it's not just Terrence Davis playing so well. We have a newsletter that will break that down and so much more. Our weekly newsletter from NBA editor Stephen Leung. It gives you original content, opinion, analysis. You can't find it anywhere else. And it is delivered directly to you right in your inbox. Sportsnet.ca slash newsletters. Just subscribe and we got you. So you unpacked a lot there. I, I think more so my concern in terms of Fred Lowry, Pascal, and Obaka in their shooting was the fact that they were eight for 30 from three. And the, the Bucks defense is very simple. Their, their defense is based off of what are the trends of the league? What are we trying to create offensively? And thus, we want to try and stop defensively. We want to take away corner threes. And we want to take away everything at the rim. Anything else we'll give you, and we'll live with the percentages. And so they play super big, and they run people out of the corners. And so if at the at the top of the circle or above the break threes, if is not knocking them down, if Kyle and Fred feel a little bit rushed shooting them, that that's the problem because this is literally what that offense, what that defense, a historical defense, is going to give you. And if you're not hitting that, you're not hitting anything. And so the fact that those guys struggled for three. And you mentioned Kawhi because Kawhi was the ultimate antidote because he's like, all right, well, I'll just kill you in the mid-range. I don't care. I'll do it again and again and again and again. And Kawhi averaged 30 points, 10 rebounds, and four assists in the Eastern Conference Finals. It's so funny because you kind of think of the Eastern Conference Finals as when the other guys started to really show up because they were all so bad against the Sixers, right? Like You say that, I'm like, what? And those other guys were really good against the Warriors. Yeah. Like Kawhi, out of the four rounds, his performance against the Warriors was like, I don't know. Yeah, he had moments. Worst. but like yeah. the, That and the Magic was like, uh, I mean, we had some okay moments. But really, it was against Philadelphia, and, and more so for me, Milwaukee, um, where he his values shone. We're going to remember the shot against Philadelphia. I'm going to remember the defense against Ben Simmons. But really... As far as turning it up offensively, it was that Milwaukee series where he took it to another level. So yeah, you're 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 losing that. And I think to to really synthesize what you're prescribing with Pascal, you brought up the numbers about their top four really offensive guys at this point with Mark and Norm out. This is the bigger overlying question about the entire team against the top six teams in the East. So really, the only teams in the East that are good because there's only six of them. 
This team is six and eight. So you're putting the Pacers still in? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I, just, I, I think so. Yeah, all right. Put it this way: if you take the Pacers out, that that win loss ratio goes down that's, even more. That's so. why I'm saying is like there's three wins there against the Pacers. Like there's only three wins against the Miami, Boston's. Sixers and they have what two wins against the Sixers and one win against the Celtics. Yeah, I mean Philadelphia is an entirely different team at home than they are the road. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm still not sure as much as I don't want to see them in a playoff series. I'm still not really scared of Miami. Um, in Boston, uh, I said this uh, to Faisal when we were previewing the second half of the season, and he thought Boston would be that other team that might give Milwaukee push. I mean, that's, that's where I'm at too. That, that's fine. That's great. Name me someone on their team above 6'8 that you trust in a playoff series. Jason Tatum. Well, okay, fine. He's dropping 40 points on LeBron and AD, and then he's dropping 40 points on Kawhi. Like. Sure, but is there someone on their team that can guard Serge Ibaka or Marcus Gasol? Well, Tice has been pretty good lately. Like He's kind of emerged as a pretty reliable option. Like, Listen, there is right. a reason. There's a reason why Celtics fans are like, oh, maybe we can get in on the Boogie Cousins, because hey. they don't have bigs. Well, I think that's more of a what Cantor's been doing lately, but I like Tice. I think he's a fine player, and I'm afraid of the Celtics, too. I think the biggest fears people have, everyone understands the Raptors are an elite defensive team. Like, there's just no questions about that, right? You don't, you don't have any doubts. They were missing Marcus Gasol in that game, and they didn't have Kawhi Leonard, obviously, from departure. Those were the two most important guys defensively for the Raptors against the Bucks last year in the playoffs. Those were the two most important guys. And coming into this game, I kind of thought, man, Giannis is my eat. Giannis might really feast on the Raptors tonight. They might have some trouble keeping him out of the paint. And you mentioned it. Giannis is not the reason that they got killed in this ball game. He just he was good. He was not great. You mentioned it. He wasn't efficient last night. The Raptors did a really good job of taking away the rim from him, not giving him easy buckets. He made a huge corner three in that game where it finally kind of felt late as though the Raptors might be able to get one last shot at it with around two minutes left. I was pleasantly surprised with that. I think if there's a positive takeaway, if there's a reason to believe that the Raptors can hang with this team, it's that you're going to get back two guys. You're going to have some shot making. Your stars are not going to play that poorly. That's okay. Here's the problems. What do the Raptors do better than the Bucks? Nothing. That's the problem I see. What would you say is the Raptors' biggest question mark? It's probably star power at the very, very top in playoff series, right? Sure. That's not really the problem with the Bucks. They have Giannis. The Raptors have Siakam. It's a pretty big divide. The Raptors, I would say one of their biggest issues, if there's anything about their defense, it's their rebounding. Their defensive rebounding is not very good. It's bottom 10 in the NBA from a defensive rebounding percentage standpoint. The Bucs are the number one rebounding team in basketball. There was a lot of moments in that game where the Raptors were getting stops and they kind of looked overwhelmed and it looked like they were actually getting some pretty friendly bounces. The bench, I think the Raptors have better depth. I trust the Raptors' depth when they're playing the Sans Giannis guys. Like, I don't really have... I know Middleton can make a shot. I know that they're getting a good season out of Bledsoe. I'm not terrified of anybody on that team that's not named Brooke Lopez for whatever reason from three. I'm not terrified of Chris Middleton. I think the Raptors can slow him down when he has to play in isolation, even though he had some big buckets late. But You should be terrified of uh, Marvin Williams. Well, Marvin, this is one of my other notes. The Marvin Williams hand-wringing is feeling slightly justified at this point. Um, I, I thought he was a really important piece for them in this game. And if you remember last year during the playoffs... They brought in Nikolai Miritich and they had Ursan Ilyasova. And they were kind of supposed to be their stretch bigs that could knock down a shot. And Miritich was dreadful, right? Like he killed them in that series. He was one of their worst players. I, I, like, I honestly don't know if Miritich hit a shot. <laughs> it felt like he never did against the Raptors. 
they've sort of replaced him with Marvin Williams, and that feels like a, a significant upgrade at this point. Yeah, I mean, he certainly played well tonight. I mean, this, to me, in terms of the Raptors, is relatively binary in terms of the conversations that we're going to continue to have. And I think this West Coast road trip, for me, given the travel, uh, the toughest of the year. And uh, I was there on Sunday night for the game. And I was talking to the Open Gym guys. It's the best show on television, bar none. And they were like, well, what are the questions? For outside this? of Tim and Sid and everything. That no, it's a, it's a best show. They should win a <laughs> screen award every year. Uh, what are the questions for this team moving forward? And I have two things. And we, we saw a play out in the game uh, last night. What's the offensive identity of this team? So, I mean, you got some uh, high screen roll with Kyle and with Fred getting Pascal involved, getting your playmakers the ball. But that I would say it's but, death by a thousand cuts is that when it's at its best. It's that like everybody's contributing and you're getting stuff from Terrence Davis. And you're but getting, is that an identity though? If you're, no. If you're stuck four, do you know who the uh, five offensive guys you want on the floor and how you're going to play? Because sometimes it's the old Nick Nurse offense of motion and we're moving the ball and everyone's getting touches. And sometimes it's, well, let's just abuse the matchup and run our high screen roll and let our playmakers make plays for other people and let them eat. And sometimes it's, well, man, we need to get stops. We need to run and we need to out hustle and hustle man chap. Rondé is down there grinding, getting a second and third possessions. Like and that works when you're beating the brakes off the jazz and when you're beating the brakes off of the Pacers. But if you are in a four to seven game series with the heat, or with the Bucks, with smart defensive coaching staffs who are going to take away your best three options in and out of timeout in every situation and make you go to your counter and your second counter. And sometimes there just isn't a good option and someone just has to hit a tough shot and great offense has to beat great defense. Can you do that time and time again? You could last year because you had a cheat code. His name was Kawhi Leonard. I don't know if that's the case right now. Yeah, and that's what I'm saying is that looking at this game, I don't want to be overly reactionary. It's just that the biggest concerns that you had going into the game were reinforced. And I'm a little bit, I don't really know what it says, but I think it's a little bit concerning that for a team that said that they were going to really funnel the ball through Pascal Siakam in late game situations, because he was going to determine the ceiling of this team offensively, that he needed to be the identity that they came out of the all-star break. They played Phoenix. They played uh, the Indiana Pacers and Serge is incredible, right? He puts up these really efficient nights. He's scoring tons of points. He's carrying the Raptors to victories. They're going to him and saying, here, multiple possessions, multiple possessions. That against Milwaukee Bucks, he only makes one field goal inside of the three-point line. They don't go to him late. That his one shot is kind of, yeah, a corner three, and at that point was essentially garbage time. That he just he wasn't involved enough, and I don't know what to make of that other than it was a bad sign. And they're going to really need to see the, the schedule is pretty tough down the stretch. They've got some other tests coming up, but that's going to be the number one thing to watch for the rest of the season to me is like, what happens when they get healthy? But most importantly, is Siakam going to get those late game reps? And are we going to start to see some efficiency numbers pump up? Are we going to start to see some better play against the best teams in the league? The answer is yes, he's going to. And what to make of it is fall eight times, get up nine. Like we're talking about Giannis being a two-time MVP and he's still figuring this stuff out. And he's still, we know this in Toronto because we've gone through them. He still had many times where he wasn't able to impact the game offensively in playoff series, which was 
to the demise of his team. The only way you figure that out is is by doing it. You don't go from crawling to sprinting. Yep. You, you, you have to take the embryonic stages. And again, I just want to put some perspective on all the people who are watching this game and consuming the content afterwards and saying, oh man, like the 17 and two since Jan 15, that's not real. We're paper champions. You just lost a relatively close game to a team that is on pace to win 70 games. Yeah, that's one of my that's other takeaways. That's been crushing people. Yeah. And so if the Raptors, a year after losing Kawhi Leonard and Danny Green, uh, in the middle of February, three quarters of the way through February, don't have it all figured out yet, mm-hmm. that's okay. Because the bet on Pascal Siakam is not that he's going to be a franchise-changing player this spring. It's that for the next two, three, four, five springs, he could be that guy. So, I mean, yeah, it isn't pretty at times right now, but realistically, it wasn't going to be. That's what this phase is. And Milwaukee, again, they're doing it without the benefit of having a banner in their building. Milwaukee is the best defensive team in the NBA. There are reasons to not freak out about Siakam's two-game sample against them. It's just that, to me, the sample is becoming pretty clear that Siakam is a number one option against bad teams, but he is still a number two against the good ones. And with the Raptors right now, they don't have another guy that can consistently get them a bucket. And they don't have someone that you're looking to. Kyle Lowry. Kyle Ter- Lowry. Terrence Davis disagrees with you. Yeah. Well, but Terrence Davis started that game 05, and then he heats up late, and you're like, good. But And then he, and then he was like, Chris Milton can't guard me. So big positive is that the Raptors were up 12 points, like with almost two minutes left in the second quarter. And it actually sort of felt like if they are able to not turn the ball over and just get a couple of baskets there and stretch that lead to like, like say, 16 that the Bucs who played the night before might not have had the legs, might not have done the same thing down the stretch against the Raptors. I'm just like, you were kind of a Serge Ibaka brain fart game, which we haven't really seen in a really long time. A Kyle Lowry, like honestly a bit of a goofy game from Kyle Lowry. I just, I thought the antics were a bit much in that game. He played the refs. He didn't play the Milwaukee but But like, but that's so much of his own doing. Like they're freaking out. Like fans are freaking out about the free throw discrepancy and that fans target Kyle Lowry. It's like, He's diving under a guy's legs and trying to stand up, and they call him for an offensive. It's like, obviously, that's a foul, and him and Nurse are melting down about it, and I think that those two guys, I'm sorry, they're they're both great leaders. They're both great winners. They need to show better composure sometimes in these moments. Like the Raptors, when they face bad officiating, I think that they can be very similar to what the 2015 Blue Jays used to be, where it was Bautista and Donaldson, and those two guys, just every time they were getting a bad call at the plate, it was a lot of eye-rolling, a lot of jawing with the umpires, nonstop chatter. Nurse and Lowry, at times, to me anyways, can, can, can get to be a bit much. Well, I'll, I'll say this. As media members, it's the same thing. We need, we need to just pump the brakes on the, we're being hard done by, I can't believe these calls, what are we looking at? Like, it's, we're, we're better than that dude, as a basketball Dude, you play sports. Market. You know that guys who jaw the officials, especially in basketball where it's just can be constant, that referees do take a little bit more pleasure in giving you a ticky-tack foul. Like, that's it's just... Chris Paul, Mark Cuban effect. Yes, it's like, obviously, this is going to keep happening for you. Like, it's not a coincidence to me that Kyle Lowry's two most recent games where he's gotten into foul trouble and he's been, like, really getting into it with the referees. I think he got a technical in both of those games. And he had some pretty ticky-tack fouls that were called against him, but then also some obvious ones that he just, like, really wouldn't give up on. It's like, well, at some point, I know it's a hard thing to balance... 
uh, the, the passion and the don't poke the bear with the Kyle Lowry that kind of needs to just like relax with that stuff. But he and Nick Nurse are two guys that are like, yeah, the very heads of the team. And it's like every time a call goes against the Raptors, it's like it's always something from them. I don't know if it's that hard to balance. Like, you know what's never happened in the history of the NBA? A ref being like, yeah, you know what? You're right. I'm going to change that call because yeah. you bitched me out. Like, either yeah. challenge it or shut the hell well, up. Now that there's the challenge, too, like when the coach is getting apoplectic about a call and they're, they're standing right there with the official, it's like, then challenge it. Well, especially, I mean... If I was an official, I was like, Nick Nurse, were you not like one for your first 11 in challenges? Yeah. But and now he's the best. Me I can't do my job. But now he's the best in the NBA. Yeah, because he's much more judicious. Yeah. But <laughs> I, my fear is Nick Nurse, who has the highest winning percentage in the history of NBA coaches after a year and a half. My fear is that he becomes that guy. He has this trope where he's going to be the guy kneeling, mouth of gas, Nick Nurse meme face. And as an official, I'm like, yeah, you won a title. But you're, you're still kind of new here. How about, how about you stop embarrassing me? Fastest coach ever to 100 wins. True. We, the fewest amount of games, I think. 100 but, and 137. But also when the Raptors were about to shoot a, a free throw for a Brooke Lopez tee, he gets a tee and wipes it away. And that's a, that's a, a, a big swing in the momentum of the game. And it's just, it's not productive. You're either helping or you're hurting. And uh, I, I just don't, I, I don't get at this point, why they feel this a need to continue to just go over the top with how aghast they are at some calls. Look, watch a college basketball game. The officiating in the NBA, although flawed, is so much better. Watch a FIBA basketball game. It's not close. Basketball officiating does suck, but yes, it sucks for everyone, generally. It sucks I, for everyone. I don't know if it does suck, man. Oh, I think it sucks. There, there, there's, some, there's some... I'm not going to sit in here and defend NBA referees. There's some slow-mo replays where it's like, ooh, did, was that a block? Or, or was that, that goaltending? Did it hit the glass first? Or I'm like, how did that dude in real time with strobe lights going off in an NBA arena see that? And I'm like watching the eighth replay from my couch. I'm still not sure. So, yeah, it, are guys going to miss calls? A hundred percent. But they're the best officials in the world. Mm -hmm. So that's what we got. Yeah, it, deal is, with it. it is what it is. I, I will say, too, like, yeah, again, Matt Thomas, some positives, was three for three, looked good in pick and roll. And I didn't think that he looked so completely out of place on, on defense either. Like, they did a pretty good job of hiding him. Hunting threes. Is, yeah. he, is he in the playoff rotation? Well, this is where I was kind of going with this. Is like, I think it's pretty clear that at this point now, how are you giving McCaw back his minutes based on like Matt Thomas shooting over 50% from three this year? There's just, you got to find him some kind of space to be able to, I kind of think that they figured out the right role for Matt Thomas, which is like, Hey, we're going to bring you in at one point of the game. We're going to sneak you in off the bench and we're going to try to get a couple of clean looks for you. And then we're going to force defenses to dial in like the Bucks did where they were like, okay, no more of that. Eric Bledsoe, one of the best defensive point guards in the NBA is basically going to shadow you everywhere. And we've seen this with Matt Thomas. That's his limitation, right? Is that like he, he doesn't have the size or the speed or the quickness to be able to separate himself from elite defenders. He really needs good screen, screen actions to be able to get open. But when he even gets a sliver, he knocks it down. But using him as a secret weapon feels like very, very good to me. Chris Boucher was solid. Um, Excuse me? Chris Boucher. Solid? Yeah, he was really good. You better change your vocabulary. Here's, here's my thing. The, the, the block on Giannis, the yeah. putback dunk? Yep. That was more than solid. Those were incredible moments. That building was jumping thanks to Chris Boucher. Those were incredible moments. He had a 
I, I wrote them down here as big plays. He had a couple threes, which we haven't seen in a while. He's been really dreadful from three lately, and he knocked a couple. He drew a big charge. He had the big block. He had the big putback. But the rebounding still sucks. And it's just, it's he's he's got this like, fum, he's like a guy who if he was playing football would be fumbling all the time. We'd be looking at him being like, that was an explosive play. He's like the running back was an explosive play. And then the next snap he gets, he fumbles it. It's just like, I've never seen anybody who, on this team anyways, who has such a like, difficulty just grabbing onto rebounds or just grabbing onto the ball. Don't you notice that a lot with him? Like that it's kind of like never, he's never sure with it. Dude, you're the guy who had chef's table, gourmet meal, but it's like, eh, the wine wasn't vintage. Like, what do you mean? Rebounds are important for my center, okay? Like he I had, like it. When he had seven rebounds yeah. in 20 minutes. I know. Like, not even 20, 19 minutes. Yes. How, what was the appropriate amount of rebounds? He more. Was, more rebounds. More boxing So if out. it was eight? He would be okay. No, yeah, more, more rebounds. Uh, he's just, he's just not good. I don't feel confident with him on the floor in the series against the Bucks. I think he played a perfect game. It diminished things. He played less than half of the yep. game, and one guy on the team had more rebounds than him. That was Rondé. Yeah, and Rondé literally all he does is rebound. I know they, they. That's what I'm saying. They suck at rebounding. <laughs> okay, but he, he was the second best guy at it. I know and that's he bad. Played 19 minutes. That's bad that your center that is against, doing that against, as you claimed, the best rebounding team in basketball. Um, I, 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 Chris Boucher, I want to apologize to you. Oh, okay, I'm sorry. On, on behalf of all Raptors fans or people who can read a box score. Okay. You know, I shouldn't have said anything about Chris. I, amazing. Best, like, some people looking at that being like, hmm, is that new Dirk? I was like, maybe so. No, new Rodman. Uh, <laughs> new Rodman. Um, yeah, it's Serge a brain fart game. We haven't seen one in a really long time. And well, you said it afterwards. He played 21 straight great games. Yeah, so exactly. Gonna have one I, I was going to say, like, this is such a non-factor for me. I'm like, yeah, Serge, like, you, you had one in 22 games. Sure, that's fine. But that's where I really felt they missed Gasol, is that it was kind of one of those games where when Ibaka's doing this, it's so great to have Gasol to just be able to step in and be like, okay, uh, this is the guy who really doesn't ever make mental mistakes or... Who doesn't, yeah, who doesn't, they're turning the ball over. They're kind of playing some sloppy offense. It would have been really nice to throw Gasol on this one. Um, early on, I, do you have any other notes on this game? I'm kind of over just like noting it. I'm just going to go into my next thing. Unless you have something else that you want to talk about. Um, early on, it felt intense. It was a bit of a rock fight early. The teams are feeling each other out. The Raptors... I thought pushed themselves against Milwaukee. Like they didn't, they didn't do the thing where they didn't want to show anything with Giannis. They didn't want to put Jefferson on him because they were like, oh, we're saving it for the playoffs, a potential matchup. Like they they threw everything at a Tenacumbo. They played a really good defensive game. They played hard. They played down to the wire. It was a solid, solid performance. It felt intense early. It felt ugly at moments. It felt sloppy at moments with turnovers. But overall, I felt in that game, oh, this feels playoffy. They've played each other twice in the playoffs, once to determine who goes to a finals, once where Milwaukee thought they were going to have a big upset that's kind of lost in history now because everything pre-Kawhi feels like so much less important now. Do you think the Bucks and Raptors have a rivalry? No. I don't either. They're good teams in the same conference. I just, they've played twice in the playoffs in the last five years and... I still don't. I feel like if if Kawhi would have come back, that it would really feel like a rivalry because it would still be like the two. You know what I mean? Two best players or two of the three best players in the NBA going head to head in a matchup. But for some reason, I just I don't feel that juice. But I I think that maybe Giannis feels it's that way. 
especially if they if they play a third time in the playoffs, I think it's officially a rivalry. Like I just I, I think that's kind of unavoidable because it would be in an Eastern Conference Finals if the playoffs started today. It would be a really meaningful series. It would be a tough series. It would be yeah, it would be intense. I talked to Jason Terry on Good Show yesterday afternoon, and I asked him if he thought Giannis viewed the Raptors as rivals. He said yes. He told me that when Giannis Antetokounmpo started in the NBA, the first thing Terry noticed was his or one of the first weird things he noticed anyways, I'm sure he noticed that like he was, you know, a tall, uh, muscular guy <laughs> that could play basketball. The first thing that he noticed weirdly was that the screensaver on a Tenacumbo's phone was Larry O'Brien trophy. That's it early that this has been this guy's goal from the very beginning. And I've been kind of thinking about that over the last 24 hours, just how I wonder if the team that knocked Giannis out of the playoffs twice, who he might face a third time, is actually the team that if he ever hit free agency, he would consider going to. Like, if he would ever do the, if you can't beat him, join him. I mean... He said he doesn't think he would ever do it. I I think there's a long list of reasons why Giannis would potentially play in Toronto. I, I don't necessarily think it's because they were the roadblock to him getting his screensaver. I mean, I, even the screensaver story, it's nice, it's cute. It's like a nice anecdote in a... It is, that's why I brought it up. ...long-form article by Arden Zwelling, but I mean... Why can't you write that? When article? I was... Because Arden's a better writer. When I was 16, you know, the screensaver on my Nokia Razor was Tyra Banks. Like, No, it wasn't. It was probably just like a little, like a, a mode... Like, I don't even know. It was like a robot. It was probably like a little picture of a robot. You didn't have anything on the background of your phone when you were 16. When you were 16, cell phones came like the huge gray brick where you like flipped it over and it was like, hello? And you had to have like the long antenna. I don't know if I had a cell phone when yeah. I was 16. Um, I, I just think Giannis is going to make... Uh, decision on a multitude of factors, and but don't you think I, that's I don't, I don't one? Think, like as not being able to beat the Raptors? No, I'm saying that like it that they would be kind of stacking up a resume as rivals, and that it would really feel weird for me to think that I listen to KG talk about Giannis and that he's a throwback, that he's old school, that all he wants to do is crush people, that he doesn't he doesn't want to play teams easy, he wants it the hard way, that he seems to love his teammates. I just have a hard time believing that. If the Raptors even push him in a series this year, if they meet in the Eastern Conference Finals, they don't win, but it goes to seven, it goes to six, and it's like a slog like that one, defensive battle, massive. I just don't picture the guy that everyone says is this competitive hard ass who dreams about winning championships leaving his city to go to the team that has knocked him out of the playoffs twice and potentially a third time. Well, those are two different things. One, he'd have to make the decision to leave. Yeah. That would be more to do with what's going on in Milwaukee. I'm not trying to play out everything here. I'm just playing out that one factor. Okay, so is that that guy that you described, is he going to one of the L.A. franchises? I don't know. Based off of that premise? Maybe have a history. Is he going to the Warriors based off of that premise? Probably not. Is he going to to work for James Dolan? If he goes to the Warriors, by the way, I'm never watching basketball again. Well, you mean... Like, I'll never never watch basketball again. I will shut it down. You will never see me in this studio. There's there's already athletic articles being written about the fact that... I know, you're writing them. You're secretly ghostwriting them. You're like, come to the... That the the picks that that (laughs) they... Are, are, are trying to stack yeah. up and Wiggins's contract, you know, would play nicely in a potential uh, sign and trade for Giannis. Listen, I, I, I just think if he doesn't win, the, the, it's happened with Katie, it happened with LeBron. Eventually, the mm-hmm. pendulum swings from MVP contender, nice story, everyone wants to buy your shoe to, oh, like you, you, you can't get it done. 
And so you either have to decide if you can get it done where you're at, or do you have to go somewhere else to erase that narrative? And if he decides to go elsewhere, there's going to be, there's going to be detractors no matter the destination, but wherever he goes, they're going to be a ready-made champion. I'm just saying, I don't think he's worried about what other people think. I think he's more, I'm just saying that I think for him as a competitor, losing to the Raptors twice and potentially three times, like, so he's going to say, you know what, Masai, yeah, I get no. it. you worked back channels so that me and my family could get a passport so I could enter the draft. But the fact that Norm Masai Powell that, played way, out true. of his mind a couple times <laughs> in playoff series, yeah. I just can't get past it. Can't come to Toronto. You listen, I, the backroom meeting at Astoria on the Danforth was outstanding. Can't do it, Masai. I just can't do it because I'm old school. You honestly think that is something he's going to say? Yeah. yeah. Not I, like the way that you said it, but I don't even I think that he's like, no, I'm not playing with that team. They beat me three times in the playoffs. Beat so me instead, I'm going to go play in the Chase Center and make Lake up more billions of dollars. I, I think here's the thing. I, I, yeah, he's, he's, I think he's just going to stay in Milwaukee. I just I, I think that here's I think he's going to win a championship over the next two seasons. If it doesn't get done this year, I think he does it next year. I think he is going to do it this year, um, and I just think he stays. I think he's going to be either a buck for life or a guy who asks for a trade at some point down the line if it's not working, but he doesn't resign. We got to run. Um, thanks for the boys for coming in here today, Tom and Mike. Uh, we got a feature. We do. Shout out Maria. Shout out Maria St. Obey. We're going to throw to this now. So Kyle Lowry is getting his uniform retired at Villanova. Like, of course, (laughs) obviously. Um, And Maria collected a bunch of stories from Alvin Williams, Randy Foy, and Alan Ray kind of lost to history. Like, good player. Um, Anyways, thanks for listening. Please subscribe. Please share it wherever you share podcasts. And thank you to the associates, as always. I'm J.D. Bunkus. He's Donovan Bennett. We'll catch you next week. Before he was an NBA champion. A city, a province, a country celebrates the NBA championship. Before he was a gold medalist. Team USA ending its 16-day Olympic run the same way it started, with a gold. Before he was a Raptor, Rocket, and Grizzly, Kyle Lowry was a Villanova Wildcat. Recruited by head coach Jay Wright, Kyle joined the team for the 2004-2005 season. In that first year, Villanova made the Sweet 16. Kyle was named to the Big East All-Rookie Team and was the Philadelphia Big Five Rookie of the Year. In his sophomore season, the Wildcats made it to the Elite Eight, led by a starting lineup featuring Kyle and three other guards. Randy Foy, Alan Ray, Mike Nardi. After that successful season, Kyle declared for the NBA draft The Memphis Grizzlies select Kyle Lowry of Villanova University. But his Wildcats legacy would live on. What exactly is his legacy? Let's go back to the beginning. After committing to Villanova, Kyle's freshman season got off to a slow start. That August, he tore his ACL, but he made incredible progress, a product of his determination. It was almost like no one could believe it. Just his ability to want to get back, he had an impact right away, and I think that was really impressive to all of us. With that determination came a stubbornness. Former teammate Dwayne Anderson remembers. I get in the car with him. Uh, We're talking, we're talking, and I think something happened, and he wasn't too happy. One of the assistant coaches was driving a truck. He turns around and goes, man, don't come to Villanova. I'm thinking, wait, like I'm already committed. What do you mean don't come to Villanova? 
and former Wildcat and Raptor Alvin Williams had his own encounter with Kyle's fieriness. When I first tried to introduce myself and talk to him a little bit, he, he really wasn't having it. So he was really a close young man. And, you know, he was not the most respectful person in my eyes. But despite some difficulties, all Kyle wanted to do was win. We just didn't give a damn who was in front of us. We were guarding guys that was, you know, five, six inches taller than us. Kyle and the Wildcats went 52-5 and five while he was with the program. He may not have been a senior on the team, but that didn't matter. I used to dread the, the one-on-one and two-on-two drills because he was relentless. Early on, I know that he, he rarely showed leadership qualities verbally. He always showed it by his play. He always put his body on the line, you know, like it's the same thing he's doing now. And Lowry takes the charge. Through two seasons at Villanova, he averaged 9.5 points per game and three assists. When he declared for the 2006 NBA draft, his teammates and coaches knew he'd be good. But did they know he'd be great? I think he always had that in him to be heart and soul of a team. You know, he just has that type of personality about him. I'm going to go on the record now. He is a Hall of Famer. Uh, his jersey will be retired in Toronto. The success at this level, winning the championship and all of the All-Star games, no, because I know that's a popularity contest. You know, I couldn't envision someone being a six-time All-Star, an Olympian, a champion and all that stuff, because you never know. A lot of that comes with luck, but, you know, he put himself in position to be successful on those levels. And what about the man off the court? The reason I play this game and work so hard is to provide for them and they can see me lead as a, as a man, as, a, as their dad. He's such an like, uh, amazing father now. He's a, a businessman. It's amazing to watch as a, as a young man myself who has kids now and I'm a coach. So just to watch how he operates and how he, he moves is, is, is very special and it's very uh, inspiring. He has evolved so much as a man, which is great. You know, it's great to see, especially with his kids and his family. You know, at the end of the day, he's a great person. And I think that's why he's been so successful. So back to that legacy question. What does Kyle Lowry mean to Villanova basketball? Um, He's going to go down as one of the best players to ever wear a Villanova jersey. You know, just offers so many accomplishments that he had. Villanova basketball stays with us throughout our lives. You know, our career on the NBA court, which is blue-collar hardworking and, and trying to outwork people. He's one of the pillars of Villanova basketball, and he's always here in the summer. He has done a great job at continuing to stay close to the program, stay close to our players, build relationships with those guys. And I hope he uh, understands for, you know, myself, what type of influence he had on me and all these other players that played out. We, we, we still show clips of him to the, the team. Congrats on the jersey retirement, Kyle. You're going to go down as one of the greatest players to ever put on a Philadelphia jersey. Congrats, man. Enjoy. Just extremely proud and, you know, very fortunate to have be a teammate of Kyle and a good friend of his as well. And I wish him nothing but the best and continued success. I appreciate my time with you. You really pushed me day in and day out. And to not only help me become the player that I, that I was, but also the man. So I just appreciate you and you deserve this. An amazing basketball player, but also an even better father 
motivator, leader. Congratulations to you, man. You are very uh, special to a lot of people at Villanova and also in uh, Philadelphia. Congrats, man. I couldn't be more proud of a young man, you know, watching him grow, but a young man being who he is today. And I'm very proud of him, and it's nothing but love for him.